Okay, good morning. Welcome back. This is uh, episode 4, reading Changsi. And uh, it is Wednesday, March 10th here in Taiwan. Um, cloudy, but uh, clear. We had a very nice rain. And um, very, uh, I believe there's actually, there were some Taoist ritual to bring rain to certain portions of Taiwan that have a drought or low water reservoir condition. And uh, I don't know if they got the rain gods <clears throat> in their area where needed, but they certain, the rain gods were certainly um, in the long uh, meditative position last night. Uh, I had four, five, six hours of steady, moderate rain, some somewhat strong rain, just straight down, no wind. <clears throat> and it, it really felt like <laughs> the rain gods were just um, complying and um, happy or, or well to provide requested rain. Um, what, uh, angelics of the, uh, se- uh, of the first density elementals, angelic, elemental kingdom angelics or angelics of the first density? Who can say? But um, no rain right now. So today, what I want to look into or, or complete is um, reading commentary on chapter one of Zhangzi, which is sort of where it all started. Or the it's as important, obviously, in the Zhangzi as um, chapter one of Tao Te Ching is for the Tao Te Ching, where you have the classic line, uh, the Tao that can be named is not the uh, true or authentic Tao. So here, likewise, <clears throat> the heart of Zhongzi's teaching, I would say, is um, even shown by the title of chapter one, Free and Easy Wandering, which is a rendering of the Chinese original by both Burton Watson and the second translation I'll use, the link below, translation from A. Charles Muller, uh, January 29, 2016, and he was actually a professor or adjunct professor uh, in Tokyo. So he's uh, presumably European or American, teaching in Tokyo Chinese classical philosophy. And his class had um, Westerners and Japanese and Chinese students. And he's working from traditional commentaries as well, like Guo Shang as we saw through the introduction by Burton Watson last time, or previous class. Uh, Many translations um, over the centuries, and then many commentaries on the original versions, or the versions that were available 1,700 years ago to Guoshang and some other earliest commentators or compilers. Uh, These guys in Tokyo are working from that too. And so... This translation I'd like to read is um, uh, from Muller, Professor A. Charles Muller, um, and that's the link. And very interesting with the Chinese, with the uh, correct, or what he believes is the correct um, grammar or or pagination, or I don't know what you'd say, um, um, phrasing, uh, arrangement of the characters, because 
there's no there there are no it seems commas and periods and dashes and semicolons in the original Chinese text. It's just endless characters that only the insiders or somebody who's really being being guided in their reading or has great um, development already could figure out could could de- decipher correct com- uh, composition or combination meaning there are certain characters that need to be read as one word and other characters that need to be combined into one or two or three character words and so <laughs> words that are of several characters words that are of one character where uh, something is being criticized, where something's being praised, where there's a sentence end, a period, <laughs> or a space between sections, or, or spacing between um, major paragraphs in the same chapter. That's not in the original, and supplied only by commentators and those that followed along in the centuries. So what I want to do um, <clears throat> is give the text predominance here above my commentary uh, there there are a, a dozen notes from Bert, uh, Burton Watson there are 30, nearly three dozen notes from Muller and um, if I go reading and the note, reading note it's going to break it up severely so what I want to do is read the Burton Watson translation of chapter one again all through then look at some of the notes <clears throat> and make some comments in general on the chapter and um, the meaning and application, right? Theory and practice. So the theory or meaning in this case is uh, what? What is he talking about? <laughs> the application is how does it relate to us, or how can we integrate this in daily life as a um, a practicable teaching of theory, right? How to live um, in harmony. With the best, uh, you know, however we determine it, the best of the Taoist guidance and wisdom. This is um, critically um, moral philosophy. Uh, Moral in the way of uh, what's good for you and me. What's good for you and me is the guidance on how to make best use of this lifetime, incarnation. How to continue on spiritual path or how to uh, continue learning, growing, helping, right? But it's not particularly heavy-handed moral. It's um, free and easy presentation of his view that free and easy wandering is the way of um, doing spiritual path and makes, as Burton Watson said, many fanciful um, uh, allusions or references or metaphors and stories, uh, giving us his understanding of what is the free and easy mind, the free mind that can live in a free and easy way, which is um, living through incarnation in a free and easy way, akin to wandering. It's perfect for wanderers to consider that. Uh, But it's not the whole story. And um, I want to bring in certain comments from Nityananda uh, about what I would call essentials of spiritual path and how that relates here. So, uh, let me read the Burton Watson translation again, chapter one, Free and Easy Wandering, Zhangzi. 
<clears throat> and then look at his footnotes, and then we'll go on from there. So chapter 1, Dongsu, translated by Burton Watson. In the, nar- in the northern darkness, there's a fish, and his fish, his name is Kun. The Kun, this Kun, is so huge. I don't know how many thousand li he measures. He changes and becomes a bird whose, not, whose name is Pung. The back of the Pung measures, I don't know how many thousand li across, and when he flies or rises up and flies off, his wings are like clouds all over the sky. When the sea begins to move, this bird sets off for the southern darkness, which is the lake of heaven. The Universal Harmony, another text, records various wonders, and it says, quote, When the Pung journeys to the southern darkness, the waters are roiled for 3,000 li. He beats the whirlwind and rises 90,000 li, setting off on the six-month gale. End quote. Wavering heat, bits of dust, living things blown about by the wind, the sky looks very blue. Is that its real color, or is it because it is so far away and has no end? When the bird looks down, he all he sees is blue, too. If water is not piled up deep enough, it won't have the strength to bear up a big boat. Pour a cup of water into a hollow in the floor, and bits of trash will sail on it like boats. But set the cup there, and it will stick fast for the water is too shallow and the boat too large. If wind is not piled up deep enough, it won't have the strength to bear up great wings. Therefore, when the Pung rises 90,000 li, he must have the wind under him like that. Only then can he mount on the back of the wind, shoulder the blue sky, and nothing can hinder or block him. Only then can he set his eyes to the south. The cicada and the little dove laugh at this, saying, quote, When we make an effort and fly up, we can get as far as the elm or the sapan wood tree, but sometimes we don't make it and just fall down to the ground. Now, how is anyone going to go 90,000 li to the south? End quote. <clears throat> if you go off to the green woods nearby, you can take along food for three meals and come back with your stomach as food as ever, as full as ever. If you are going a hundred li, you must grind your grain the night before. And if you're going a thousand li, you must start getting the provisions together three months in advance. What do these two creatures understand? Little understanding cannot come up to great understanding. The short-lived cannot come up to the long-lived How do I know this is so? The morning mushroom knows nothing of twilight and dawn. The summer cicada knows nothing of spring and autumn. They are the short-lived. South of Chu, there is a caterpillar that counts 500 years as one spring and 500 years as one autumn. Long, long ago, there was a great rose of Sharon that counted 8,000 years as one spring and 8,000 years as one autumn. They are the long-lived. Yet Pengz alone is famous today for having lived a long time, and everybody tries to ape him. Quite pitiful, isn't it pitiful? 
Among the questions of Tang to Qi, we find the same thing. In the bald and barren north, there is a dark sea, the lake of heaven. In it is a fish that is several thousand li across, and no one knows how long. His name is Pang, or sorry, his name is Kun. There is also a bird there named Pang, with a back like Mount Tai and wings like clouds filling the sky. He beats the whirlwind, leaps into the air, and rises up ninety thousand li, cutting through the clouds and mist, shouldering the blue sky, and then he turns his eyes south and prepares to journey to the southern darkness. The little quail laughs at him, saying, Where does he think he's going? I give a great leap and fly up, but I never get more than ten or twelve yards before I come down fluttering among the weeds and brambles. And that's the best kind of flying anyway. Where does he think he's going? Such is the difference between big and little. Therefore, a man who has wisdom enough to fill one office effectively, good conduct enough to impress one community, virtue enough to please one ruler, or talent enough to be called into service in one state, has the same kind of self-pride as these little creatures. Song Rongzi would certainly burst out laughing at such a man. The whole world could praise Song Rongzi, and it wouldn't make him exert himself. Just a moment. <clears throat> the whole world could condemn him, and it wouldn't make him mope. He drew a clear line between the internal and the external, and recognized the boundaries of true glory and disgrace. But that was all. As far as the world went, he didn't fret and worry, but there was still ground he left unturned. Lietzu, a Taoist sage, Lietzu could ride the wind and go soaring around with cool and breezy skill, but after fifteen days he came back to earth. As far as the search for good fortune went, he didn't fret and worry. He escaped the trouble of walking, but he still had to depend on something to get around. If he had only mounted on the truth of heaven and earth, ridden the changes of the six breaths, and thus wandered through the boundless, then what would, have, then what would he have had to depend on? Therefore I say, the perfect man has no self, the holy man has no merit. The sage has no fame. Yao wanted to concede the emperor, the empire, to Shu You. Quote, when the sun and moon have already come out, he said, it's a waste of light to go on burning the torches, isn't it? When the seasonal rains are falling, it's a waste of water to go on irrigating the fields. If you took the throne, the world would be well ordered. I go on occupying it, but all I can see are my failings. I beg to turn over the world to you, meaning the empire. Shu Yu said, quote, You govern the world, and the world is already well governed. Now, if I take your place, will I be doing it for a name? But name is only the guest of reality. Will I be doing it so that I can play the part of a guest? When the tailor bird builds her nest in the deep wood, she uses no more than one branch. When the mole drinks at the river, he takes no more than a bellyful. Go home and forget the matter, my lord. I have no use for the rulership of the world. <clears throat>
Though the cook may not run his kitchen properly, the priest and the impersonator of the dead at the sacrifice do not leap over the wine casks and sacrificial stands and go take his place. Jian Wu said to Lian Shu, quote, <clears throat> I was listening to Jie Yu's talk, big and nothing to back it up, going on and on without turning around. I was completely dumbfounded at his words. No more end than the Milky Way, wild and wide of the mark, never coming near human affairs. What were his words like? asked Lian Shu. So again, you see, we don't know if this is good or bad, right? What were his words like? asked Lian Shu. Quote, <clears throat> He said that there's a holy man living on faraway Gu Shi Mountain, his skin like ice and snow, and gentle and shy like a young girl. He doesn't eat the five grains, but sucks the wind, drinks the dew, climbs up on the clouds and mist, rides a flying dragon, and wanders beyond the four seas. By concentrating his spirit, he can protect creatures from sickness and plague and make the harvest plentiful. I thought this was all insane and refused to believe it. Lian Shu replies, You would! We can't expect, expect a blind man to appreciate beautiful patterns or a deaf man to listen to bells and drums. And blindness and deafness are not confined to the body alone. The understanding has them, too, as your words just now have shown. This man, with this virtue of his, this de, is about to embrace the ten thousand things and roll them into one. Though the age calls for reform, why should he wear himself out over the affairs of the world? There is nothing that can harm this man. Though floodwaters pile up to the sky, he will not drown. Though a great drought melts steel and metal and scorches the earth and hills, he will not be burned. From his dust and leavings alone, you could, ma- you could mold a Yao or a Shun, a classical god-kings of, of antiquity. Why should he consent to bother about mere things? A man of Song, who sold ceremonial hats, made a trip to Yu, but the Yu people cut their hair short and tattooed their bodies, and had no use for such things. Yao brought order to the world, to the people of the world, and directed the government of all within the seas. But he went to see the four masters of the faraway Gushi mountain, and when he got home, north of the Fun River, he was dazed and had forgotten his kingdom there. Hui Ci said to Zhuang story, The king of Wei, gave me some seeds of a huge gourd. I planted them, and when they grew up, the fruit was big enough to hold five pickles. Pickles, not pickles. I tried using it for a water container, but it was so heavy I couldn't lift it. I split it in half to make dippers, but they were so large and unwieldy that I couldn't dip them into anything. It's not that the gourds weren't fantastically big, but I decided they were of no use, and so I smashed them to pieces. Zhuangzi said, You certainly are dense when it comes to using big things. <clears throat> In Song, there was a man who was skilled at making a salve to prevent chapped hands, and generation after generation, his family made a living by bleaching silk in water. A traveler heard about the salve and offered to buy the prescription for a hundred measures of gold. 
The man called everyone to a family council. For generations we've been bleaching silk, and we've never made more than a few measures of gold, he said. Now, if we sell our secret, we can make a hundred measures in one morning. Let's let him have it. So the traveler got the salve and introduced it to the king of Wu, who was having trouble with the state of Yu. The king put the man in charge of his troops, and that winter they fought a naval battle with the men of Yu and gave them a bad beating. A portion of the conquered territory was awarded to the man as a fief. That the man is the man of the family who recommended the sale, I guess. The salve had the power to prevent chapped hands in either case, but one man used it to get a fief, while the other one never got beyond silk bleaching, because they used it in different ways. Now, you had a gourd big enough to hold five picoles. Why didn't you think of making it into a great tub, so that you could go floating around the rivers and lakes, instead of worrying because it was too big and unwieldy to dip into things? Obviously, you still have a lot of underbrush in your head. <clears throat> Huaizi said to Zhangzi, I have a big tree called a shu. Its trunk is too gnarled and bumpy to apply a measuring line to. Its branch is too bent and twisty to match up to a compass or square. You could stand it by the road, and no carpenter would look at it twice. Your words, too are big and useless, and so everyone alike spurns them. So this is a, legi- this is a criticism of Zhangzi in the story. <laughs> Zhangzi said, Maybe you've never seen a wild cat or a weasel. It crouches down and hides, watching for something to come along. It leaps and races east and west, not hesitating to go high or low, until it falls into the trap and dies in the net. Then again, there's the yak, big as a cloud covering the sky. It certainly knows how to be big, though it doesn't know how to catch rats. Now you have this big tree, and you're distressed because it's useless. Why don't you plant it in not-even-anything village, or the field of broad and boundless? Relax, and do nothing by its side, or lie down for a free and easy sleep under it. Axes will never shorten its life. Nothing can ever harm it. If there's no use for it, how can it come to grief or pain? And so, uh, looking through the footnotes, um, Watson notes that Kun, the name of the first fish that is also named Pung or changes to Pung, uh, also means the, a fish roe, R-O-E, fish egg. And he says, so Johnson begins with a paradox. The tiniest fish imaginable is also the largest fish imaginable. <clears throat> so this massive fish is called fish row. <laughs> and so the tiniest and the largest is, is an equivalence. And high and low. Uh, you see, this is uh, going from the human to the natural. And in his view... Uh, conceptualization uh, and human society are of the human, not just human society and human mores, human uh, standards and preferences, right? Like, uh, speak eloquently, get praise. Speak um, crudely, get blame. Uh, Make money, uh, big praise and honor. Uh, Lose money, 
loss, dishonor, and blame. Uh, those are that, that those are uh, human co- concept polarity, human values, pretty normal, pretty reasonable. Uh, the polarity of human values, the ways of the normative ways of of the human collective, the normative ways, the common values of human collective. Nothing wrong, but uh, his view is that one, the Taoist transcends attachment to either. Just like the Buddhist freedom from the eight worldly winds, of course. And and just like the principle of vairagya, which is renunciation, detachment, dispassion, disinterest, that Nityananda praises or highlights as critical to the entirety of the spiritual path. Certainly the inception of spiritual path but the continuance of spiritual path as well, demands um, detachment from what is unnecessary, what is unhelpful, what is harmful. And so Zhangzi is saying, uh, vairagya from praise and blame is critical too. Renunciation, detachment, disinterest, dissociation. Put it down, put it down. Uh, detachment from rejection of um, all the worldly winds are needed just the same as Gautama's crit- critical teaching on the eight worldly winds. And that called vairagya. Hmm. That's called renunciation. The principle there is vairagya. <clears throat> and so the largest fish that the little birds can't conceive um, has the name of fish row. The largest and the smallest is an equivalent. Praise and blame is an equivalence. The upward path is the downward path, said Heraclitus. It's back to uh, making all things equal, back to one equal sightedness, equal look, as Nityananda said. So again, 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 uh, back to uh, an understanding that self-transformation, spiritual path, is making one of apparent experiential two, making the many one. Now, that doesn't mean rejecting the, the apparent reality that there's a many, and that there's a good and bad, and that there's a better and worse, and that there's more and less efficient. It's actually recognizing that and not being attached to that, the reality of differentiation, the reality of differential valuation, differential valuation, meaning uh, something, you know, <clears throat> if I want to talk well, I probably shouldn't set my heater to 25 degrees C. <laughs> I should not turn my air conditioner uh, to heat mode uh, when it's not cold. That's kind of dumb, but clear, or, or you know, stupidly, plainly obvious. <clears throat> but there is a differential valuation in there. Um, you don't cut down the gnarly tree, uh, but humans cut down the beautiful big uh, what uh, oak tree or walnut tree, uh, and so there is um, apparent and there there is a, a a practical importance to right differentiation uh, regarding the values of this or that. What's more skillful? What's less? <clears throat> Meanwhile. For the one that is uh, seeking complete and perfect transformation, complete and perfect awakening, or 
complete development of the seven rays, or all I is, to, to fully develop all I is, um, one needs to see uh, differentiation and um, practical valuation and not be attached to it. Use it, but don't grasp it. And that's very uh, much that kind of teaching in Tao Te Ching. So, fish row is the name of the big fish. Uh, then other notes that are useful, I think, <clears throat> from Burton Watson. Um, uh, note 5, he's saying that another work written around 800 CE by a monk, uh, 1200 years ago, contains the following passage said by a Tang commentator <clears throat> on that text to be found in Zhuangzi. So you've got Burden Watson drawing from commentar- commentaries on the Zhuangzi for the last 2,000 years <laughs> and people commenting on the commentaries previously. <clears throat> and so this is the passage uh, note 5 from the Burden Watson text. Uh, Tang asked Qi, do up, down, and the four directions have a limit? She replied, "Beyond their limit, be, uh, sorry, beyond their limit, last nas, there is still another limit, last nas." End quote. <laughs> and that's um, cute, but actually, it's interesting because it perfectly correlates to Gautama's teaching about this all—that the nirvana, nibban, complete, perfect enlightenment is beyond the all. But the all is this all, not the all, all. (laughs) And so there is a limitlessness to directionality, elementality, elements, and direction, and properties of time and space. There's a, a relative limitlessness to it, but it's limited, actually, because there's a greater limitlessness beyond that. That's called the next octave. <clears throat> and it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's deceptive sometimes where uh, ancient texts are involved, or particularly Taoism, actually. Um, it seems like these guys are just having a good time sometimes in the text. He's just playing. But sometimes he's deadly serious in terms of uh, uh, awakened um, teaching. So uh, the four directions um, have a limitlessness but there's another limitlessness beyond it. And that's, in this case, I think the limitlessness of, of visual perception and apparent material dimensionality, right? Go out in space if you were properly configured <clears throat> and just keep fucking going. <laughs> just keep going. That's something I've thought about doing, but I'm not properly configured. So just go. Will you hit a wall? <laughs> Will you hit the 13th floor? Meaning there's a movie called The 13th Floor. Very good. Very, there's a a sort of orgasmic scene of metaphysical reality. uh, Limits to apparent reality in that movie. Beautiful. And um, if you kept going on and on and on and on and on to the four directions, any of the four directions, would you end up coming back to where you started? Maybe. Uh, you would go straight, you'd experience uh, straight um, linear trajectory, 
And at a certain point, uh, you'd actually arrive at your starting point. How about that? Uh, linear, uh, experiential linear is actually what? Metaphysical, uh, toroidal, or circular, or spherical? I don't know. But uh, these guys know a lot more than, than we may think sometimes that it seems they know. And so when he says there's another limitlessness, uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that comes from... I mean, because Gautama already was in India, right? So Jiangsu is a couple hundred years after Gautama's passing. <clears throat> uh, there absolutely was um, intercourse between uh, Chinese and Indian mystics, yogis, whether they were Buddhist or Brahmin or proto-Taoist or whatever, uh, 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago. And so, uh, some of what they're saying is profound. Going on, other notes. Um, okay, those notes don't go too far. Um, some things I want to mention about, I mean, the, the first point is, uh, <clears throat> what, what, why does he even put a title free and easy wandering as the title of the first chapter of the text. And again, the first, I think, seven chapters, um, inner chapters, as they can be called, are the chapters that are certain to be of uh, 2,000 plus years ago and of um, supposed source Zhangzi uh, without much amendation or emendation. Other chapters are a combination, or uh, each is a certain uh, its own case. <clears throat> so the core teaching chapters start with free and easy wandering, because at some level this is a um, or a or the central Taoist uh, virtue, the or uh, guide uh, ideal condition or an ideal, or the ideal, <clears throat> freedom, and uh, ease of mind, body, and non-attachment, mobility, fluidity, flow. And so, freedom, not bondage, easy, not difficult. And that doesn't just mean, um, uh, take it easy, man. <clears throat> it's, um, mm, I say, <laughs> uh, somewhat of a, a requirement, not a request, <laughs> requirement, it's um, a, some guidance to don't undervalue the easy. <laughs> um, an easy state of, you know, take it easy, um, um, may be undervalued by the, when we are attached to the eight worldly winds. Attached to name and fame. Attached to gain and honor. Attached to... Uh, you see, attached to the positives of the four of the eight worldly winds is an attachment to the, op, to, to the negative. Attachment to something you don't want actually just is indicated when there's a triggered aversion. When we have an emotional reaction of... Um, uh, strong uh, grasping or strong aversion. 
two of the three unwholesome roots, Akusaladamma, or poisons in Mahayana Buddhist tradition, Theravada tradition, grasping aversion, ignorance. Uh, whenever there's a triggered emotional charge, we know there's a distortion in mind. We know that there's lower triad blockage. We know that there's something going on. It may not be no big deal, um, but um, the the one who's most free and easy doesn't generate emotional charge. Ross said, for the fully balanced entity, no situation would have emotional charge. To live without the naturally triggered periodic or regular generation uh, uh, of emotional charge is a life that's free and easy, is a mind that's free and easy, is a person who can wander free and easy, free of lower triad blockage. And so free and easy wandering is achieved by freedom from lower triad blockage. Okay. More, you know, it's proportional. Uh, One's quality of life will be more free and easy where one can flow with uh, phenomena, with, you know, ride the horse in the direction he's going, that kind of idea. Uh, Be present here and now. Um, As one's lower triad blockages are increasingly cleared, as one then experiences less emotional charge triggered by circumstance, situations, and people, one's mind becomes more free and easy. And some poor and there's a there's a dual basis for that, Nityananda. I would uh, glean the dual a dual or a, a an understanding that there's a dual basis to this achievement of free and easy. Which is, uh, do your danda with vairagya, live with vairagya, and do your danda. <clears throat> but um, it, it's. It's actually a little bit, ought to be a little bit amplified. How to get to free and easy is the topic here. (laughs) Well, there's love and wisdom. Well, love, wisdom, green, blue, fourth ray, fifth ray, two wings of the bird. Um, Receiving and giving, uh, being and doing, uh, taking and releasing, holding and letting go. Uh, that's the uh, needed um, rightful polarity, the polarity of right conduct, the the a polarity or a pl- a pro- applying uh, the notion of polarity <clears throat> to the performance of <laughs> right speech, right action, right livelihood. <clears throat> but um, to do so certainly requires a vairagya, renunciation, rejection of various forms of attachment to the eight worldly winds. I grasp and love and must keep and I'll fight to hold uh, that which leads to pleasure and gain and praise and honor. Gain includes money. <clears throat> includes health too. You know, unfortunately health comes and goes too, like everything else. So, I love, uh, it's not love, it's, it's, I'm grasping for the pleasant, the, the, the uh, positive worldly winds, and I hate, and I have strong aversion against the negatives, pain, and loss, and uh, blame, and dishonor. Yet, it, that's normal, that's natural, right? 
<clears throat> yet to move towards free and easy wandering or lower triad blockage clearance, <laughs> we must apply right vairagya to our natural preferences uh, for the pleasant and against the painful. For gain and wealth and health and pleasure and um, fulfillment, particularly fulfillment of desire as a whole, and praise and honor, and uh, exercise right vairagya, did not detachment, renunciation, rejection, of um, excessive attachment to hating pain and illness and loss and uh, blame and dishonor. So vairagya is critical. Meanwhile, do your danda or responsibility is critical because we do have responsibilities. And in Nosolar, talking about four types of marriage, the last two are testing and duty. <clears throat> All relationships are testing and duty, whether you like it or not. Every single one of them involves testing and duty. Everyone. There's the duty to stay, and that means the, the duty associated with facing testing, being tested relationship catalyst, catalyst of any relationship whatsoever as providing testing. Um, Nityananda is saying all, every moment is a test to see if we can go higher. Higher what? Higher green, blue, indigo rather than stuck in lower, lower triad blockage, which is the way of <clears throat> trigger, regularly triggered emotional charge to circumstances. So there's right renunciation, right vairagya, true vairagya, uh, which is, you know, a profound topic that could be explored over many, many, many hours of uh, dialogue, monologue. Then there is duyudanda, or responsibility obligation, which is particularly uh, relational or associated with relationship. <clears throat> Inevitable. Why do you think the monks go to the forest and live alone and detach from relationship? Well, at best, they don't longer they no longer crave it. Uh, they don't have craving and clinging and grasping towards the benefits of the happinesses of relationship, and they are, if at best, rightfully willing to uh, surrender <laughs> or renounce. Back to Vairagya, the positives and the joys and the happinesses and the fulfillments of right relationship, good relationship. So they're willing to surrender, let go of, not have the pleasant and beneficial and love-based and wisdom-based and helpful and supportive aspects, the holiness, the sanctity of right relationship, uh, to get rid of all the troubles of it, too, to not have to experience that. Fine. That's a choice. Uh, it doesn't, it can be applied you it, you know, there are the degrees of relational renunciation. There are degrees of um, right solitude, right uh, kagavisana, <clears throat> rhinoceros horn living style. <laughs> wander like the rhinoceros horn, who doesn't wander, but remains solitary on the forehead. Uh, the extremity, of course, is a dutanga practitioner who lives in the forest wearing bark or uh, leaves and rags and eats whatever he can forage or uh, whatever he gets. And um, 
never uh, has really nil, nearly nil attachment to human beings, and that's their lifestyle. <clears throat> the guys in the seven-year retreat, three-year retreat that don't come back, they stay. Okay, that's not us. And then you know, there's um, self-determined moderate uh, rejection of relationship, which means solitude. <clears throat> uh, but but the principle of responsibility, dharma, do your dharma, do your danda, remains. And so one can rightly renounce and reject and give up and move away from relationships that are not essentially, uh, we're not obliged to keep, if we wish not to keep. If we're obliged, we should fulfill the obligation. Whatever they are, that may be for the rest of one's lifetime. Sorry. And um, when there is no obligation to the best of our ability to determine if that's the case, then it seems fine to me to renounce, particularly like Kagavisana, Gautama's guidance, if you don't meet your equal or superior, wander alone like a rhinoceros. But we may have, obviously, family and friends and children and this and that and parents where we have rightful responsibility, so we really ought to do our danda. Uh, meanwhile, <clears throat> uh, there is the continual testing of moment-to-moment catalyst. And while doing the danda of um, rightful uh, spiritual, karmic, metaphysical or karmic obligation, fulfilling those obligations is rightful and right, uh, and detachment from what's unnecessary or unneeded or harmful is also right. Uh, there are other principles <laughs> that move us to free and easy wandering, like uh, shraddha and bhakti, and then praxis or practice and technique and meditation. So shraddha, faith, bhakti, devotion, <clears throat> as Nityananda formulates, are, I'd say, also foundations to move towards free and easy wandering. How? Having faith that, that, that greater freedom is possible, having faith that um, sometimes we're going to have to take the pain as we reject, rightly reject, and we sometimes will have to take the pain when we rightfully accept and um, remain engaged to fulfill obligation. And, even the, and then, of course, there are higher levels of faith or higher matters for faith, like Faith that great freedom and, and is possible. Freedom, faith that I can do it. <clears throat> faith that this mind that feels miserable can free itself. Why? Because I is not mind. I is not mind. I sees mind. I experiences mind. I is behind mind. I is greater than consciousness. Of course, David. I is the source of one consciousness. Uh, it should be known. <clears throat> and so, um, I experiences the octave. I is the source of the octave. And I don't mean I, Scott. <laughs> There's no, no puffy here. And so, the nature of I, E-Y-E, <laughs> the great I, aham, the one that falls into... Uh, the Dukkha and Maya of Ahamkara, the one that has eighth fetter conceit, 
is the Logos, <laughs> is intelligent infinity, is uh, Parabrahman or Paramatman, you know, so source, well, you know, Satchit, the, the being of Satchit, the one, the one that lives, the, the one that is Satchit, meaning unbound awareness of reality, unbound reality awareness being, the being that is unbound uh, awareness of reality beyond all Maya illusion, beyond all time-space, beyond free and easy wandering, actually. The one that can teach free and easy wandering, the one that has mastered and completed and gone beyond easy, free and easy wandering, is the source of light, is uh, the source of false identity, is um, uh, <clears throat> to have a faith about that. <laughs> we don't know it. We're not there. So how can we say it's so? Uh, I don't know. Well, that's called Shraddha faith. Ultimately, that's a high-level faith, I'd say. And then there's bhakti, which is devotion or love. Uh, prem, I know, is love, but you can say that bhakti can be translated multiple ways. Devotedness. Uh, to what? To a guru, possibly, or to the, the sanctity of a teaching. I have bhakti towards Chongsu. You know, I love Chongsu. And uh, even more than Lao Tzu. Actually, Lao Tzu is great. Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu is, a, you know, one of the heavy hitters of, of human civilization. Uh, one of the top um, minds in the entirety of Chinese civilization. For the last 5,000 years, <clears throat> in the pantheon of great minds that came to China, Lao Tzu is definitely there, as is Zhuang Tzu, for those who appreciate it. <laughs> but Lao Tzu is for everyone, because Lao Tzu talked to kings and... Um, Lao Tzu has influenced um, many fields of, of culture, not just uh, spiritual philosophy, but also governance and law, even. So, anyway, I, I love them all. But that's bhakti. And so, loving green, blue, indigo. <laughs> loving the truth. Uh, devotion to continuance on the path. Devotion to the hope I can realize my ideal that I have faith, within which I have faith. Devotion to continued learning, growing, helping, <clears throat> which requires honesty, 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 uh, honesty valued, honesty and truth valued above sentiment and feeling, valued above the worldly wins, in fact. Above pleasure and gain is valued honesty and truth for the, for the one of great Shraddha and Bhakti. And then down the line, one realizes, hum. Maybe just thinking and talking ain't enough. Sleeping and eating and uh, uh, happy dancing uh, is not enough. Reading, study, talking, listening is not enough. Uh, <clears throat> I need to take this mind in hand. And that's the basis of praxis or practice or meditation as a portion of path and uh, critical towards free and easy wandering and then you've got samadhi and upeka, concentration and equanimity, uh, tightening and loosening, um, concentration and mindfulness, um, focus and defocused being, the doing of focus, attention, samadhi, concentration to be one-pointed, and the doing of non-doing, the doing of being, which is a surrendering of the doing of focusing, like samadhi, <clears throat> uh, one-pointedness, 
uh, the doing of being, <laughs> which is also called sati or mindfulness. So um, these are ways towards free and easy wandering. And so uh, a couple of points before I read the Muller translation. The little birds say it cannot be because they don't know. Because they think it cannot be, they believe it cannot be for anyone. Wrong. <laughs> and so, don't be an arrogant fool. And so, you know what you know, I know what I know. Don't ever presume it cannot be because you don't know it. It might be. Some things cannot be, oh, of course. But don't presume. Don't be. Don't make an ass of you and me, said... Uh, one of the odd couple. And so that's right. And so, okay, the little birds are wrong. Um, what there can be much greater than their experience. How can anyone go 90,000 Li to the south? Well, they're wrong. So be careful of people who don't know anything. You know, it's called condemnation without investigation. It's all over the internet. It's a big fad, you know, these days. Uh vocal, active, condemnation, uh, sans, or without, or devoid of investigation. So they condemn without investigating. That's one of the hallmarks of a fool, or the foolish mind. So, meanwhile, there are some things that don't need to be investigated too much. If I jump from the Golden Gate Bridge, I'm pretty sure there's going to be damage to the body. Or I'm absolutely sure, without any more investigation than my meager knowledge of the laws of physics and um, having heard about it before. What happens to people who do that? <clears throat> but there is investigation there. So there are a lot of fools in this world, and they're generally educated. And so the, the true fool is educated, and the greatest fools are the most educated, generally. They're generally in the UK, if you hadn't noticed. So it's the center of tomfoolery global foolery, actually, meaning um, deception <laughs> and, and uh, wrong view and uh, high-educated folly. So, uh, <clears throat> what do these two creatures understand? They don't understand much. They only understand what they've experienced, and that they don't even understand much. The understanding is not of this density, for sure. And one definition of the wise or the wise the wise one the wise mind <laughs> the mind the vijnana that has a significant degree of green blue indigo in play is a conscious acknowledgement of how little they know and how far from omniscience they are and that omniscience is which takes shraddha faith <clears throat> and um uh be careful of small minds, or at least no small mind is a small mind. So, then, um, he says, little understanding cannot come up to great understanding, the short-lived cannot come up to the long-lived, and so any greater understanding we may believe we have about anything is relative, and um, seen in relation to those with those <clears throat> ahead of us on the path, we know nearly nothing. Um, and so, yeah, we know nearly nothing. And most people know even less. So, that's how I see it. I don't know if that's arrogant or humble or what, but...
but who cares? <laughs> Be yourself. <clears throat> Be yourself. The morning mushroom knows nothing of twilight and dawn. The summer cicada knows nothing of spring and autumn. Okay, so there's the short-lived, there's the long-lived, there's the deeper knowing and the more shallow knowing, but all our knowing is really not sat-chit. <laughs> it's uh, some blend of monastic and buddhic, you know, knowledge and wisdom. Fine. But it's very minuscule compared to sat-chit, of course. So, then, but that's a principle. <clears throat> and so, uh, number one, <clears throat> don't uh, don't assume the impossibility of what you know not. Then, uh, there's the same story about you know, the, the big fish, the big uh, fish and bird, the big bird uh, who's a fish, or the big fish who becomes a bird, and his name is Fish Row, and the little quail and laughing at him, dot, 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 the big and small. Fine, we know that. Why does he start with that? <clears throat> That's very interesting, too. That could take another hour. <laughs> Why does Zhuangzi start the, the, the Zhuangzi? the first chapter for an easy wandering with the story of a bird that becomes a fish that is uh, condemned without investigation by the little birds or the little ones like the morning mushroom. Why does that start? <clears throat> well, at one level, I don't know why it does that, but I have a sense. There are many explanations. This is one portion of some. Um, <clears throat> right differentiation is critical. There is the small, there is the great. You better know that there is a small and a great. And um, that's not just shraddha, that's uh, a portion of jnana, meaning knowing, and not, not the ultimate, you know, satchit ananda, the knowing of satchit, the knowing of omniscience. No, it's not yet that. <clears throat> but there, there is a critical knowing that um, it's critical to differentiate, to rightly differentiate. Uh, and it's critical to be free of unhelpful differentiation as well. And so <clears throat> it, he brings the story of the great fish bird, Pang or Kun, and the little birds that criticize to, um, a, a par to the human and says, a man, therefore, uh, as, so after the line, such is the difference between big and little, which you should know well. We should know well. There's a difference between big and little, <clears throat> or great and little development. Then, to the human, he says, therefore a man who has wisdom enough to fill one office effectively, good conduct enough to impress one community, virtue enough to, to please one ruler, or talent enough to be called into service of one state, has the same kind of self-pride as these little creatures. So it ain't, it's fine, it's good. <clears throat> wisdom, good conduct, virtue, talent, fine. Uh, but that's um, limited, and one should know it is limited uh, when it's uh, not yet complete. And so this is the path, not the end, and don't presume, you know, we don't presume, but there are a lot of foolish minds around us that presume uh, a greater develop for them, development for themselves than they have, than they are. <clears throat> so Self-pride um, is unhelpful. Uh, meanwhile, one should know the difference between great and little and not be, not avoid giving oneself credit or at least recognition for development. 
You know, there is great and little. There is the rightful consequence of prolonged study and meditation. The rightful consequences of prolonged study, meditation, service, self-working is a more developed mind, which means a mind that's more act, more, um, more bright in green, blue, indigo. That is that is richer in love, acceptance, kindness, care, more uh, capable in wisdom, knowing, discernment, speaking, listening, comprehending, and spiritual awareness or non-dual perspective, <clears throat> etc. And and that should be known as such. But self-pride isn't helpful either. <clears throat> then he's talking about... Then he pull, this, the, he pops out of all that <clears throat> and shows the, the greater ideal, Song Rongzi, uh, which was given at footnote 6. And from Muller's uh, footnotes... I can't find the right place. But on uh, Burton Watson's footnote, Song Rongzi was considered um, <clears throat> a uh, somebody who taught a doctrine of social harmony, frugality, pacifism, and rejection of conventional standards of honor and disgrace. <laughs> so there were many philosophers at the time of Zhangzi and schools, very similar to what what Gautama faced in India, what Heraclitus um, lived amidst in in the Greek uh, world, in the Greek you know the the Greek region of the time. So that's interesting. <laughs> now <clears throat> he's uh, praising Song Rongzi <clears throat> and saying uh, he wouldn't be impressed by the guy who has a capability that's limited, has real capability, but it ain't complete, and it isn't, um, it isn't limitless. <laughs> and he said, <clears throat> and so Chuang Tzu putting up Song Rongzi as the uh, counterpoint to the little creatures, in a sense, is um, <clears throat> his first, one of the first um, uh, uh, what would you call it, uh, <clears throat> kind of uh, boundary markers, <laughs> boundary markers uh, for the terrain of the the praiseworthy. The ba- boundary markers of the praiseworthy. <laughs> Weird phrase. <clears throat> uh, a, a post in the ground that establishes some... Uh, of the location of what should what deserves praise, he would burst at such a a little creature man who's happy because he can do one thing. Or I'm a <laughs> I'm a software engineer, and so I know all about epidemiology and virology. Song Rongzi would laugh at such a man. Mm-hmm. So the whole world could praise him. It wouldn't make make him exert himself. <clears throat> so he's not attached to praise, one of the eight worldly winds. Attached to means spun by. Attached to the positives, attached to the negatives, attached to the positives means turned in the way of uh, salivation. He doesn't salivate. <laughs> this is not a, a 
technical term, but I think it's useful. He doesn't salivate for the uh, preferable worldly winds, nor does he rage at experience of the uh, non-preferred. So he doesn't salivate for praise, and therefore, and this is a critical Taoist tenet too, he doesn't exert himself. Now, that is absolutely a, a choosing of solitude over relationship, withdrawal, seclusion somewhat even, or non-effort over effort. But it's the not, you know, you can't be in relationship without any effort. You can't <clears throat> uh, develop relationship uh, further or develop further relationships and not exert yourself at all. <laughs> Just the social engagement itself is a form of exertion um, that is qualitatively greater than the exertion of um, solitude. Not the maintenance of solitude, but the experience of solitude may not require as much, commonly won't ex- require as much exertion. And that's a classic Changsu Taoist, but much more, much more Changsu than Laozi, value, uh, ideal is free and easy wandering doesn't means don't exert yourself don't exert yourself unnecessarily but um it it does get further to don't exert yourself at all (laughs) or stay away from humans okay this is not a confucian teaching of endless right responsibility fulfillment like do your danda continually only which is very Confucian, or Confucius is very much keyed to a continuance of relational obligation fulfillment. This is not, that's not Taoist. <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm going to have to end soon here. How about that? I can yak for lots of time. So Song Rongzi laughs at the man who, like the little creatures, doesn't know what he doesn't know presumes what he doesn't know isn't, doesn't realize that what he, what he condemns he doesn't know, doesn't know he doesn't know, presumes if he doesn't know it isn't, presumes absence of proof is proof of absence. <laughs> so, and while that one who's arrogant and ignorant may well um, have capacity it's not unlimited capacity. It's not perfected, penultimate in any way. He is not penultimate. You, we are not finished with the path. So Song Rongzi, like you know, the perfect Zhuangzi Taoist sage, is praised. The whole world could praise him. It wouldn't make him exert himself or... Um, uh, go into wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, it wouldn't move him out of his way of free and easy wandering. The whole world could condemn him, right? Okay, so we've got praise and blame. The whole world could condemn him. It wouldn't make him mope. Don't mope. Uh, the management of perspective economics, as Jim uh, Sinclair would say. He don't do it. <clears throat> and so he's um, free, more free than me, (laughs) of praise and blame. Then, he drew a clear line between the internal and external and recognized the boundaries of true glory and disgrace. But that was all. 
As far as the world went, he didn't fret and worry, but there was still ground he left unturned. So, he knows the difference between praise and blame. But he's not salivating for praise, and it doesn't uh, unseat him. He doesn't mope or um, thrash at condemnation. The whole world could condemn him. That's a, that's a lot of blame, you know. That's not just blame, it's up to dishonor. Infamy. The dreaded infamy. He's infamous. He's, of the, he's, he's in the world, of, in the community of the infamy. <clears throat> um, if he knows he's in the right, he's um, enlightened enough to not care that they wrongly condemn him. You know? Krishnamurti said something like, it's no mark of health or healthiness or mental health uh, to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. (laughs) And he knew it because he met some of the profoundly sick theosophists of his time. Religious, spiritualists, Mm -hmm. spiritualist theosophists, profoundly sick. That's how Mr. Krishnamurti, that's part of what what he learned from when they called him the Messiah. So, uh, it's no mark of health to adjust to dysfunction. It's no problem to, to be well or, I mean, I'm not there. I can't imagine if the whole world condemned me. <clears throat> it would have to be a case where one, one knows, I mean, you know, unfortunately we may have to face some of this with the... Uh, coronavirus situation, take the vaccine, not take the vaccine, honest, not honest, true, not true, benevolent, non-benevolent, we will have some views that will be roundly condemned. We may, uh, it's to not mope, even when we know we're fully in the right. Uh, Moping may be one thing, but there's the sting of blame and hatred. They're so full of hate, the virtuous. (laughs) <laughs> so, the modern virtuous, full of hate. <laughs> yeah, and they cannot look in the mirror because their hatefulness is too ugly. So, he drew a clear line between the internal and the external. He also drew a clear line between the small and the great, between the uh, valuable and the unimportant, between the critical these guys. It was a very cold winter, and um, these birds are rough. I mean, they're healthy, you know? That's what you get with a healthy second-density creature, is they do their 2D thing strongly. So these birds have a... They impress... The birds are very social. They're very concerned with how they're seen by the community of birds. And other... They're they're very... uh, They're very neurotic, actually, Uh, Birds are very um, like like Woody Allen. He sort of looks like a bird, and so uh, birds are quite neurotic and are very concerned with how they're heard and seen and recognized in the community, their species community. So this year they are rough and tough and strong fellows because they made it through the winter, or something like that. In any case, um, clear distinction is necessary between inner, outer, greater, lesser. Um, necessary, unnecessary, and recognize boundaries, clear boundaries of true glory, true glory, and disgrace. 
what's essentially wonderful and essentially um, disgraceful or contemptible, that's not human praise and blame or human fame, uh, um, honor, dishonor. True, <laughs> metaphysically, universally valid glory and disgrace. Not the same as a human. Similar, but not the same. But that was all. So he made, he, he, he discerned clearly. He had, you know, he applied his buddhi to the monastic, to the phenomenal, to the social, interpersonal, to the assessment of value, assessment of what's of greater and lesser value and fine distinction. But that was all, Zhuangzi said. As far as the world went, he didn't fret and worry, but there was still ground he left and turned. He didn't know everything. He didn't say everything. He didn't know everything. He didn't do everything. Uh, even Mahatma can't do everything, said Nityananda. Mm-hmm. I guess he knows that too. And that's it. Okay. <laughs> I'm free and easy speaking. <clears throat> and um, that'll be it for today. Next week, um, maybe what I'll do, I mean, this first chapter is the heart of Zhongzi in a certain sense. It's the heart of the heart, the heart of the pith chapters. In a sense, I think the heart or the uh, the opening movement of the symphony <laughs> and uh, uh, length, prolonged analysis and contemplation would be useful. So next time I, w- I will start on the <clears throat> PDF, page 55, which is um, the discussion of um, the completion of the uh, talk about section on Song Rongzi and before Lietze, uh, note 7. Lietze was also a famous uh, Taoist philosopher, actually. The, there's a book called the Lietze, like Dao, Zhuangzi. There's a Lietze, Lie, Lie, I don't know how they pronounce it. But that is actually number three in the, um, in the library of core Taoist texts. Number one is Lao Tzu, number two is Zhang Tzu, number three is Lao Tzu, actually, as far as I know. I mean, people can argue that, but <clears throat> coming from the ancient days, coming from, you know, 2,000 years ago or so, uh, coming out of that, even if these versions are modified over time, one is Lao Tzu, two is Zhang Tzu, and three is Lao Tzu, actually. And anyway, so uh, we'll look at Lao Tzu, that paragraph, um, in the Watson translation next time, and then jump to the A.C. Muller translation to read his take on it, which is nice too, and a lot of good footnotes. And then we'll complete next week or the week after chapter one, and then go on. So, in any case, I hope this was helpful. It's lovely material. Uh, I hope you're well. Take good care of yourselves. That's number one, or critical. Take good care. See you next time. And good night.